0: This is Gifts and Graces. On this episode of Gifts and Graces, we get to hear from Tom Harris as he talks about pastoral transitions. Tom Harris is the executive director of Interim Pastor Ministries. This was originally recorded as a seminar delivered at the 2021 General Assembly. Let's listen as Tom Harris talks about eight actions to thrive during a pastoral transition.
1: I woke up this morning, you know, and as the day went by, I got more and more energy because I am passionate. I am a believer. I buy into this stuff and I'm seeing it happen all over the country. From north, south, east, or west, and every now and then into another country, as far as Shanghai four years ago, where we had an interim pastor. Now this is not your daddy's interim pastor, you know, just someone that's going to go out there and have it easy, and just you know shake a few hands and recycle some sermons and and uh, love people. Nothing wrong with all of that to certain ex- extent. But um, I'm passionate because that verse, buy up the opportunity. The time between ministers or pastors can be leveraged for an optimal opportunity, a sweet spot, to help a church become stronger and more effective in the gospel. Um, I um, went to seminary. I was an associate pastor in two churches. I've never married, so at the age of 37, I was having difficult finding church. And local pastor said, if you just get a wife, you could get a pastorate. And I was like, well, I did everything else. I went to four years of college and five years of seminary. Da, 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 and I've been called since I was 15 years old. But regardless, God redirected me to a church in Tucson to be their interim pastor. And was it a mess. You know, 800 down to 120. A lawsuit going on. Uh, they sold buildings in order to, to have enough staff to try to give a full-blown ministry. And when I came out of that, I had to go into counseling. And that is the gospel truth. I went home and went to a biblical wellness center where, almost for free, they helped pastors put it back together. And then God providentially led me to the next one, the next one. And I served one in college, so if you include that one for a year and a half, every weekend, two and a half hours away, and these nine, it really does encompass about 17 to 18 years of my life that I was itinerant, learning the art and the skill. Beyond preaching, beyond shepherding, beyond working with a leadership team, I kept building my toolkit. The first one I was asked to do was in Tucson, and I'd been putting together some tools, but I was insufficient and just struggled to know what to do and when to do it, and have a sense of confidence and the process and the delivery of what I came to do. It felt like a little bit like a doctor who had insufficient training to take your gallbladder out. <laughs> that sounds like fun, doesn't it? Um, in my ninth interim post college, I was with an organization called Interim Pastor Ministries. I came under their wing. Um, and after six months of being with the team, we had a national conference, and it was about 80 pastors. And they announced the, the, the retirement of their executive director in six months or nine months. And with fear and trepidation, I put my name in. And uh, with fear and trepidation, I, I got the position. And it's been fear and trepidation for 10 years. Um, and I say that because I just felt like I was going a little bit beyond my head. And, um, but the Lord led. And it's been a wonderful 10 years. Um, The ministry has grown. Uh, Harry Reader's Church called us about 15 years ago um, and and said, you know, we don't want to recreate the wheel, but we know PCA churches need help like you're providing. Can you partner with us? And so Larry Sheehan, who was his name? He was the point person at um, that church, Harry Reader's Church, and he died about seven years ago. But, But we did trainings at the church for PCA pastors and others that wanted to attend. And now we have probably each year three to five churches that are PCA out of the 80 that we serve. And we have interims like Larry Dawn that's going to share with you a little bit later how from a stated clerk's position, um, he became a part of IPM and he served a litany of PCA churches. And I think he feels like it's the icing on the cake, if not the cherry on the icing on the cake, of a life of satisfaction and fulfillment. So um, I wanted to... um, Write something that would take the message, to herald the message. Don't miss the opportunity. We've got people that need to relearn, retool school in order to have a toolkit and a process to bring about a transformation uh, in churches. Because while well, a pastor people get discouraged, uh, beloved pastor leaves and everybody's been trained for 25 years to hear that person's voice. That person's style of leadership. The whole church has really been formed in 25 years around the DNA, in many ways, of that person's personality, and that person's particular bent in ministry. Um, pastors get um, get um, fired, um, which is a very painful thing if you've experienced that. Sometimes we are the cause. We need to be fired. We need to be disciplined. But sometimes we just run into a power machine. Or we get discouraged because everything we seek to do is not received by the congregation. So we're asked to be just maintainers, when deep down we really have gone to seminary and prepared in ministry for something that would be um, kingdom focus and kingdom advancement. So about um, two and a half years ago, I approached another author, um, George Bullard, out of Columbia, South Carolina, who's written a lot of books on vision whether he would partner with me, and I'm the first author, and he's the second author. And out of it has come a book with the title, Soaring Between Pastors. Eight actions. Now, you said eight actions that could make a church strive. Tom, you said strive. It's thrive. We don't want to strive them. We want to thrive them. They're already striving. Um, Will Hope joined my organization. He had a D-man. He um, had been leading an inner-city ministry in, in Milwaukee, um, but they wanted to go all social and no gospel, and he had to leave. And he drove about four and a half hours to Michigan, where I was an interim pastor and becoming the president. He said, because everything revolves around relationship, Tom, and he came to meet me. And his background was just a little bit, you know, a little, just a little different from us, not doctrinally, but a little different emphasis. And um, he ca- became a member, and it was time for his first church. And I said, Will, you live over there in Milwaukee. i got a church in Hardin, Montana of about 40 people. Would you go? And he, um, I'd love to pray about it and consider it. They flew him out. He met him, interviewed, came home, um, brought his dog. His wife couldn't quite leave at that moment because a mother-in-law, his mother-in-law was ill. And through a snowstorm, he went all the way to Hardin, Montana and saw about 35 people the first Sunday. And in 15 months of contribution, they were well over 100 in the services. The church had had dealt with some issues, and they had made some advancements. And uh, they were um, uh, and I went to visit to see all that God had done. I could tell you story after story, over 600 churches that I have helped without pastors in these 10 years. So when you've heard story after story after story. You get some good fodder to write a book. And uh, the book's purpose is not to promote interim pastor ministries, though, we do want you to know that we're passionate and we're real, and we want to help churches if we have the right pastor for your church. So, let me speak a little bit about my book because that's why you came in this seminar. Um, we chose the image of soaring like 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 an airplane. Churches getting um, the wind of the Holy Spirit under their wing, um, removing the obstacles on the runway so you can actually ascend, and other actions that I'm now going to cover. We all remember Sully Sullenberg. It's been um, 12 years ago. The flight took off out of LaGuardia. A flock of geese collide with the engines, and the engines saw and go out. There's two minutes before contact to the ground. They try to direct him to to Terreboro uh, Airport, but he says, no, it's going to be in the Hudson. I've been on airplanes when they've been rocky. I had a friend whose airplane he was riding on dropped 10,000 feet almost instantly with a tremendous downdraft. It was, it was brought into control again. Um, so can you only imagine as you watch Tom Hanks trying to bring that plane in, what the people in the pew were experiencing. It is kind of like that when a pastor leaves a church. You've got those that are applauding the departure. We didn't know it would take so long for you to leave. We have others that are grieving. We have people understanding that was a little bit pre-retirement that he left and why he left. Others are new to the church and have never seen anything but that one pastor. It was his ministry that brought him to Christ, and they're empathizers because they're not a part of the real knowledge of what's happening in the church, but anxiety. And it's very important to that point that there be a solution that brings confidence to the people by having leaders who are confident in their next steps. And so the plane began to descend It um, skirted across the water, it came to a stop, and 155 people were um, saved. They said that landing was almost the chances of it happening so well without tipping a wing into the water and rolling were microscopic chances. So why did the plane land so well? Because you had a seasoned, skilled, and strategic former military pilot of 55 years at the helm. I'm going to tell you that in this ministry gray hair is an advantage. It's not an obstacle. I'm going to tell you you can work a lot longer in this ministry, if you're any good at it, than the typical pastor serves the local church. That's not to say I don't want some in their 50s. Because the reality is that this is a season of skills and strategies that you are learning, which aren't impossible, but also give you meaning and purpose. Um, I have a senior director over church development and pastor development. That means any pastor that joins us, all the coaching we do, all the continuing education, all the online resourcing, all the churches that are having problems where a coach is not sufficient, we have to get involved. But when he told an older pastor he was going to do interim work, he said, oh, one of these days, I want to do that. Just preach. And just love those people. And this pastor said to himself, that's not only what I want to do. I want to bring about an improved church. I want to lift a church in transition. So in our organization, we have a five-stage process that we train people in. Larry's trained in this. It's our roadmap, because our mission is strengthening churches during pastoral transition for greater effectiveness. It's kind of the ministry of Luke 15, uh, John, uh, Acts 15, when Paul went back to see how they were doing from the first mission of planting churches. And it said he went back strengthening the people and strengthening episterizo, putting steroids, epi. It's, It's really emphatically saying that he went back with the mission of strengthening churches. So we connect well with people. We have action steps. We help them assess their church health We help them to see what current reality is. We help them clear the runway if indeed they want to clear some runway debris. We help them to take proactive actions. We then are able to help them uh, in in, in, in coming with a sense of mission, vision, and values, and then to help them in the search process as much as they want our assistance. That's the steps that an IPM interim travels along. Now, this book has some framework and some outcomes. First of all, we're talking about an intentional interim pastor. See the word intentional? There's a plan and a process in mind here. It's just not that you're a seminary professor who the big city church didn't have an interim and you got up with your PhD and preach. No no fault to that at all. But this is the same person who says, I want to do more than just preach. I want to really help the church. Seasoned. In our organization, you have to be at least 50 skilled. We have a two-day introductory, 120-page manual on our process, and then the roadmap to be able to um, follow. We're helping a church become a C3 soaring church. You know, Great Commission is the mission. I see slogans all the time. And I guess a slogan is okay for the public face, you know, love God, love others, love well. That is some good stuff. That would be very attractive to the people outside but a church that's really on the Great Commission. A few years ago, I was speaking to the National Association of Evangelicals, and the president that followed Bill Bright was there, Steve Douglas. And I had just a minute to speak to him at lunch before I got up and did my 10-minute blurb. And, oh, by the way, I told him I'd buy lunch for for that group of people. And and, um, Roy Taylor got me in because he was the chair. And... um, I said to Steve Douglas, I said, boy, Bill got it right. I mean, so simple. The mission is win, build, and send. Say it in a million ways. Um, To have values that are enduring. What do we really, what do we act upon? Not what we hope we would be or do, but what values are we living into? And sometimes we're not living into the things we know we should be living into. And then to seek God and pray and discern, and I think every person in the church could contribute that with a certain way of process that I can maybe mention in a minute. To be captivated or captured by God's vision for our future. You know, God's vision for me is this ministry and it's the message of opening eyes to this wonderful opportunity. We're gonna say that the framework is also D3 intentionality. That a church is intentional about their disciple making, their developing of leaders, and their dynamic innovation. And fourthly, they get a a lead pastor. Now, I know there's doctrinal issues, theological standards you must meet, uh, good references. We do that with our own interims that are applying to us. We have a high, high bar to jump over. But ultimately, beyond that is one who's passionate for the gospel and the preaching and teaching of God's word, one who is not reactive but proactive in helping the church move along the continuum of implementing God's mission, win, build, and send, and to be able to be one who has personableness. Um, just some Ps that seem to describe what, beyond the other standards of what could really help a church um, move forward. So let's talk for just a second about stabilizing the church. Now the question is, we're searching for smooth air. What needs to be addressed when a pastor resigns in the first 60 days? Chapter one will tell you all your, all your possibilities who will lead to addressing those issues. How we use this moment, this this kairos moment, buying up the opportunities, kairos, not chronos, this particular moment in time that can be used to empower your church to soar between pastors, to get uplift, to um, to get a, a, a deeper passion, to get a, get a concept of, of prayer and God lifting the church into whatever. And it was this kind of... Um, um, Ministry that we have been called. Um, how do we eliminate the challenges? Uh, <clears throat> one of my professors at Dallas Seminary was named Howard Hendricks. And he had a um, saying that someone quoted the other day. And, he, and he, by the way, he transcended all the denominations. And he was big with Campus Crusade as a speaker. But his saying was, who is standing on your air hose? Now, only old men would remember. But the... Gas stations in my day, when I was little, had a little air hose. You drive over them, and they come running out to wash your windshield, check your oil. They heard the, the air hose make a, a signal. Well, you can only think is, when someone's standing on your air hose, maybe it's not operable, or maybe it's just making a terrible continual sound. Maybe like elephants stomping around in an airplane's belly. They got loose. Or maybe the elephants that can stomp around in the local church. We don't go to make up trouble. We don't go hoping that we can find terrible things. But sometimes just going with open eyes and listening to the congregants, you learn things that need to be addressed. Then the question is, will the leadership um, buy in, and will they take action? So who will help deal with these things that need to be addressed for the most redemptive and empowering outcome? Um, could name a million different examples of, of what we've seen in the field. You know, someone that had a little doctrinal difference that split a church. And the ones that left were the children of the older people in their little ba- grandchildren to form a new church. Uh, I don't know what that did to Thanksgiving Christmas in the home, but it was a rural church of 300, and they were down to 200 after the 100 left to form Grace Community Church. Um We've seen suicide in the pulpit. Romans chapter 8 was preached strong on, on Sunday morning. When his wife confront, confronted him about his adultery on Friday, <clears throat> she left with the children, she came back, and there was the husband hung from the rafters of the house. Um, we've seen pastors steal 300,000 and one PCA church where it was 3 million, coupled with um, a Christian educational school um, administrator over 30 years. Now, let me say this. We all have human people in our pulpits, and I'm not pointing to any particular person, but um, it's been quite um, interesting. um, Power blocks, a church with two different visions I served, those that wanted to recreate the past, those that wanted to create a future, but a second layer. That older group were sided with a church member who had one of the younger group as his contractor of his home, and the older group's representative didn't think the fireplace was put in right, that it didn't have enough bricks to the ground, and wanted that thing torn out of an existing house. And the younger people had, a, had, had their, their person that did the job who said, no, I won't do that. So there were all kinds of layers of difficulty. But after a year of me coming, trying to be, quote, the, the um, rescuer of the whole church, and working like crazy with teams of people, we voted on some constitutional kind of organic in the church that demonstrated there was going to be change. And the vote didn't quite take, it wasn't quite enough, and the next Sunday half the church marched out. Um, so so those things can sometimes help the plane from keep the plane from getting off, um, uh, off the runway. Uh, strengthening leadership. Um, this is one of my interims. Uh, he is one of my best. He is a, an attorney by his first trade in a seminarian and pastor by his second trade. And we were flying a simulator in Temp Memphis at FedEx training facility there at the airport. And we had an hour and a half of learning how to do that with an instructor. But in many ways, you know, we need to help the leadership have time in the spiritual simulator. I am not a PCA pastor. Don't Don't shoot me. Don't throw rocks at me. Whatever. But I've come to love the PCA. I love Larry Dauphin, Don, Dauphin Don, Um, And we serve other evangelical groups that have particular pastors they need for their own churches. But what I've found is that every church could use encouragement directed toward the leadership of the church. In transition, sometimes they're the one holding their finger in the dike. And they're like, get here quick, quick, quick. We need help. Put your finger there for a while because I am really tired. And sometimes leadership is a blessing. Sometimes they're an issue. Sometimes they have division among themselves. Um, So it's helping leadership. We need to really understand in our churches, I think you need to understand that I believe the equipping of leaders is a big part of the pastor's job not that we would do it solely not that they wouldn't want to be trained and skilled or given new experiences but um, um, strengthening leaders is what we do while we serve a church because we know we're leaving and we want the next pastor to have a, a welcoming and a, a resourced renewed and strong leadership group um, the session to work with so what needs to be addressed how we do it, and is there a system in your church for identifying, training, and developing leaders on an ongoing basis? We can't set up a whole system, but we can model some actions of encouragement or guidance or strengthening or study or prayer with the hopes the next pastor will continue on. Served a um, church in Atlanta in Midtown. I've been everywhere. I've been everywhere, man. Remember that song? Um... One of our theme songs is on the road again when you do this kind of work, just because um, sometimes you can't sleep in your own bed. But um, <clears throat> I forgot my point, but that's okay. So we help with characteristics of leadership, a scored card for a leadership team to evaluate themselves, and always a call to action. Prayer is always operable in our churches, but a real emphasis in transition can bring about with other other interventions and actions a real sense of lift for the church the best leaders lead on their knees Um, we talk about what prayer is and there's a program here of 100 days of discerning prayer and dialogue where three people meet 10 times over 100 days when I went to the church in Atlanta a couple things I was impressed with the leadership of the church I had not served that fellowship of churches before but I was very impressed found out the pastor for 20 years had every Friday morning brought men together in his home for breakfast and study and prayer. And that became a pipeline for the next generation of workers and leaders in the church. Um, May his tribe increase. So we did 100 days of discernment and prayer, and uh, one of Dr. Bullard's books highlights it. It's listed on the back of this. Uh, and out of 400 worshipers, about 270 became part of a triplet for these 100 days. I had a, a ministry development team, that's what I called, a meeting every Sunday at 1230 after church in Atlanta. You don't send people home and ask them to come back midweek or they'll never make it with traffic. So after church, two hours, 30 of their core leaders. And we didn't have too much to repair. Uh, little things always happen when you're in a church in your interim, but there wasn't any big, big thing. We were focusing on God's preference and future for our church. And we had this accompanying sense of prayer. And um, great things, great things happened. Uh, Helping a church focus on the Great Commission, their core values, and their captivating vision. This is the directional markers that a church is given in the Word and then a sense of, in participating with the mission, what's it look like for this mission to be contextualized to who we are and who our community is. Some of those intersections lead to a sense of vision. So is the Great Commission the mission? Do we have enduring core values? Um, Are the leaders ignited by God's vision? And how do the characteristics of the first early church compare to the characteristics of our church? I mean, that'd be real good. Get a scorecard in the Book of Acts, (laughs) you know, and get these characteristics listed and see how well they did and see how we're doing it. And we probably would have areas of strength and areas of challenge helping a church during the transition to at least be thinking about intentional disciple-making, developing leaders, and having a sense of creativity. In the beginning, God, well, we got, how many attributes are listed in those four words? In the beginning, God. Okay. In the beginning, the eternality of God, maybe? God created. It seems like creation was one of his earliest attributes we're we're told about. So um, when we're creating things, we may be doing um, a part of the passion of God because he creates us and recreates us. And churches that do not want to have any sense of continued recreation um, often become churches that are over the un- other li- uh, side of the um, of the life cycle. And then a pastor that's passionate, proactive, and personable um, and a process that would help you um, get a new pastor that's like that and considering, could you be a sully for another church? Does your church need a sully? Would that give your church a sense of confidence, a sense of direction? That this is not what one denomination leader called the interim as a season of law. That's how they saw it. And we see it as a leap with intentionality into a richer future, an ascension into the will of God the kingdom of God and his his work. So these are the actions that are part of this that I think any church at any point could do. Um, churches always need stabilization when there's something rocky going on. Um, do we have elephants in the room that need to be identified and corralled? Our leaders constantly need to be to, to be trained and equipped and prepared and then resourced as they become our leaders. Uh, prayer is it just a word or is it a value in your church? And then a church that's focused on a um, sense of mission, a sense of the Great Commission, a sense of vision, um, discipleship that's that's intentional, developing leaders that's intentional, and um, and having dynamic innovation to call a lead pastor, with the hopes that they would not be the typical six-year stint, but it would be a long time in fruition and fulfillment of the Great Commission. Um, I want to ask Larry Don to come up now. He is, um, I took about 20, 30 minutes there. He's going to share a little bit about his experience, but Larry came to a training I was teaching in Chicago. We train now every month or so. It's on our website. We're training online currently. But Larry came to a live event. and and, and took what we were saying about the ministry of vitalizing churches or revitalizing, the ministry of an interim pastor that's more than just a shepherd, the ministry of our organization that they can partner with, he partnered with us, the benefits of what we provide that make this a much more successful, enjoyable, productive season of life, and lastly, the process that we unpacked. And from that, um, God led Larry to become a part of IPM and to be a stated clerk at the same time, and to serve interim pastors. So you're going to hear someone from the home camp describe their experience. And particularly, I want to hear about the current church you're serving, Okay? Okay. Because that's a case study.
2: It sure is. It sure is. Thank you. Um, I uh, am a sucker. That's why I became stated clerk. I was pretty sure after uh, God God used me to plant a church in in Waterloo, Iowa, if anybody knows anything about Waterloo, Iowa, you know John Deere is made in Waterloo, Iowa, so there now I've told you everything, everybody in the church I'm currently helping knows about Iowa. And uh, I, I went there to replant a church that the denomination they had been a part of was, it was a mess. They closed the church down because they said, no, you're too tiny. You're, you're never going to make it. We're just going to close you down. They had been coming to the PCA for years asking us, please, will you come and plant a church? So I did. When I got them to the place where they were ready to really move on and they needed somebody, from my perspective, half my age, I said, well, what you need to do is this is the kind of a guy you need to look for. And then I looked at them all, and they said – are, are you going to a bigger church? And I knew to say yes to that would tear their guts out. So I said, no, I'm retiring. And so I was honorably retired as far as the PCA is concerned when I was 60. And then I didn't have a clue what God was going to do with me at that point. And after a few months, I mean, I, I had met Tom a couple of times at GA. And, and so I finally I decided I would drive into Chicago and, and sit there and see what that was all about. When I walked away after two days of listening and sitting in the very back of the room, as I walked out, I gave him my card, and I said, "Uh, I'm in. Because what happened in that couple of days in Chicago is God helped me to understand that all of that 25 years leading up to that couple of days in Chicago was really getting me ready for what was about to happen. So when you get to the point that you're sure that, oh, you're just the old codger that nobody wants you know you know the old joke that everybody wants to have a pastor who has uh, 30 years experience and they're 40 years old. Right. I, I, I hear that. Don't believe it. Because what God's done with me over these last few years is he's put me in four different churches through IPM. One, I was only about 10 miles from the Canadian border when the most recent mess hit our country. And they finally... I had helped him find a new pastor who was still sitting someplace in Wisconsin, but they said, no, he's just going to be here in a couple weeks. Go home before our governor shuts this whole state down and you can't get out of here. So I went home, but it was like two more months before he could come. Just the same, I was only there a short amount of time, but God let me minister to where their needs were. Prior to that, several years ago, I was in Pennsylvania, This little church that had left the UCC and become an independent, uh, reformed church. And uh, as I was reading through their old, old records, I realized that on some Sunday morning, somebody had stood up at that church and said, hey, there's a new announcement. George Washington is president. That's how long this church had been around. I was called there because the guy who had just retired had been there 17 years. And he's not in the room. He had ADHD. Their bulletin was about 15 pages for him to be able to function. And his mother was still in that church. And by the time I left, she couldn't walk very well, so every Sunday morning i just go sit down and talk with her for about 20 minutes before church. She was one of the best friends I've ever made in, in church. You know? Went back home and helped the church in the PCA, where I serve as clerk. And I had known some of those people for 15 years and helped them walk through some really hard issues, helped them find a new pastor. Even it was two little congregations that were right across the field from each other. And they together had decided to call one guy. And finally, they had decided to close the one building because of the financial drain it was. I asked the session before that service, I said, do you guys want to, handle this meeting, or do you want me to? And they said, no, Larry, you've told us this a 100 times. You do it, because if they hate somebody, we just assume it'd be you. (laughs) So we held the congregational meeting, and there was about 15 minutes of discussion, and then the vote was like 95%, no, close the other building. And so at that point, I called the new pastor who had The past the Presbytery had accepted, he hadn't been installed yet, but he was there. I said, I asked him if he would come up and close that meeting in prayer. And while he was doing that, my wife and I left and drove home. Several months passed after that, and I got a call. Would I be willing to go back into Pennsylvania and help them? It was a mess in its own ways. The pastor had been asked to leave, and I knew what I was walking into. Todd was very thorough. You should tell him to face to face for me. He was very thorough. I wasn't walking in blind. But in the first month and a half I was there. First month and a half I was there. I uh, I met with 50 different people of the church when it was convenient for them, which meant from seven to ten at night. 50 different people, and it was all an hour on paper was actually more like until I knew somebody else was going to be walking in the door. But whoever signed up last, I knew, had the most to dump. And I sat and listened and listened and listened. I didn't really even get to say most of the things you and I would normally say in that time. But what happened is that I walked away from that whole time and I realized that the people that the congregation didn't trust as a result of what had gone on was the session, because the session was handy, even though the presbytery had done a lot. And so I, I knew right up front, I'm going to tell you what I shouldn't really have done. I, you did. I, I knew that it was the session that needed to be the ones that the congregation saw as making changes. Mm-hmm. So I asked the session. And they had a, a guy who had been licensed for years, never ordained. He's, he had been the guy short term who had kind of held things together. And so I knew from the congregation's perspective, he needed to be in on this. And then, so I'm in this room with with these five or six guys. And I said, fellas, you're the guys that need to be part of this team that plans where this church is going in the next two years. But you don't get it, but your wives need to be on this as well. Because after listening to their wives, their wives ran different ministries, the women's ministries and things like that. And I said, besides... You might not get it, but you and your wives don't see things exactly the same way. And uh, we met 17 times weekly for an hour, except one of those meetings, they were getting fed up. They said, this is a church, believe it or not, when I asked, what are the ministries here? They told me 51 things, 51 ministries. And we talked about every single one of them. One time they finally said, we can't just meet for an hour. So they set aside about four hours one night. And that meeting actually went about five hours. And we talked through every single one of the things that they said were ministries there. And if, if it was going great, that's super. That's marvelous. If, if this was a piece of junk, hey, great. Now we all know it. We all agree. This is, some, this is something that has to be fixed. Last Sunday, after this group had met together for all these times... It was one of their ruling elders stood up at the end of the service, and he presented a PowerPoint thing and had three simple phrases. I'll tell you what it was in another church I was in. A little tiny church in northern Iowa years earlier had come up with this phrase, helping people come to God, follow God, and serve God. And I gave them this team I've been working with as an example. And I'm not going to tell them, but it sounds very much like that. But what they did at the end, they said, how are we going to explain what these things are to the congregation, and I said, "Well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you a scriptural passage that has to do with that." And this, one of the ruling elders who's here at this at GA, he said, "Great. Then, if I'm the guy that's going to talk to the congregation before tomorrow, you all have to look through God's word and you tell me where you see these three things show up in Scripture." And all he did on Sunday after worship was he put it up on PowerPoint. And he said, here are the things we're going to do. And then he, the next screen was all the scriptures that said, you really ought to be a church that's doing these things. And then more or less he told them, you don't like one of those things? Read through those scriptures. If you still don't like it, talk to God. And I thought, they have come to the place where by the end of March they're going to put together a search committee. And in their next, they plan out their budget in July. So they're planning next pastor's salary and all of that kind of stuff. If you guys, if you had met the people I met the day I showed up, there were 80 people the week before Christmas. In the last several weeks, even though we're online like everybody else, Consistently, there's someplace in the range of 180 to 200 people there in church on Sunday. This congregation that had just kind of all floated away have all come back. And you know what? I'm gonna tell you a secret. It's not because of me. It's because God just let me listen to them and help me help their all people that were already there leading step up and lead. And in the end. I'm looking forward to going home to see my wife actually you ought to stop by the the booth for IPM because you'll get to see my sweet wife just don't talk to her too much because we don't talk much I like to be around her but it's been one of those times in my life that I've realized that God wasn't done using me yet all that God's done in these last 4 or 5 years has helped me to realize that the last 25 years he was really just getting me ready to do exactly this so that's really what's going on for us I'll gladly answer any questions for you in terms of the PCA. But
1: Just stand right here because we're going to take some questions. Um, so Larry, a PCA pastor, came to our train, joined us as a PCA pastor, and he served a number of PCA churches, but he had other Reformed opportunities that, that he came in to be, quote, a missionary interim pastor. And what a great story, but we hear so many of these stories. Um, we really do. Um, before we take questions, um, you know, are you seeing value in intentional actions like these that could lift a church in transition? They could even lift a church that wasn't in transition. But when they're sequenced together as a chain, you can't build deep wells in each one of them while you're there. But you can do the right things at the right time to strengthen a church cumulatively so that they are then able to be the best church for the best pastor that fits them with longevity, consistency, fruitfulness in the future. Uh, maybe you're someone that could see this in your future. I want to say something to you. We don't blanket one state or one presbytery. We blanket America. If you want to sleep in your bed and do this, you probably don't need us, because Larry has gone out and served in several different locations. Every now and then, we'll have something 100 miles away or 50 miles away, um, but often it's necessary to go and live for a year or year and a half, and lodging they provide. Um, we ask for the full package of the last pastor, add it all together. We're going to give you someone that's going to do an equal job in those areas, but a superior job in areas that you particularly need in transition. Uh, You'll see the church not flounder, but it will um, be fulfilled in many ways. And um, the outcome is usually um, extremely um, beneficial to the church and to the people and to the next pastor. I always said I was setting a table while I'm there, getting everything just shined up and pristine just right. But I don't get to eat the meal. That's eaten by the next pastor, prob- speaking as a proverb. I tee the ball up so the next pastor can, can take the swing. And uh, we want them to succeed, not fail. And that's what we're doing, is doing it um, for others.
0: You can hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. They are free and open to the public. Find out times and locations by visiting pcaga.org. Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces.